This morning we are concluding our series on Welcome Home. And we've been listening to the story that Jesus has talked about. And he shared three stories. He talked about the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin. And then he got to this last story about the lost son, the son that had walked away, that had left him, had taken his inheritance, and he left, and he fled, and he got far away from the father. But we saw last week the restoration that took place when he came to himself, and he came to his senses, and he realized that people had it so much better in his father's house. Even those that served as slaves were doing so much better than him. And he came to that realization, and he went home. And what he found was he found a father who had his arms open wide, ready to receive his son, ready to accept him just as he was. In fact, rewarded him for coming home. And we're truly thankful for that story. But the story doesn't end there. In fact, you may have realized last week that we left off a part of the parable. And I believe it's because, in truth, there are actually two prodigals in this story. One that went away and wasted his living, but one that stayed and wasted his life. And we want to talk about the one that stayed at home today. We want to understand what this intended purpose of the story was at the very end. But I'm going to say a statement, and I want you to let this sink in for just a moment. Because I believe this is a statement that is so true of us as Christians sometimes that we better be careful and we better be ready to change it. But I want you to listen to this and I want you to think hard about this. Everyone wants to be forgiven But not everyone wants to forgive. Let that sink in for a second. Everyone wants to be forgiven. But not everybody wants to forgive. I'm here to tell you this is one of the deepest sins in church today. Is a lack of forgiveness. A lack of forgiveness. Because let's just be honest. You okay if I be honest for just a moment? Church people can be some of the meanest people. Man, y'all shouldn't have said amen to that. That's trouble. <laughs> y'all are like, that's me, brother. That's me. Now, you think about it. I mean, sometimes, let's be honest. I mean, somebody comes back, somebody that's been in sin, they come back to church, and as opposed to having open arms, a lot of times we're going, no, let's just, let's just see how long that lasts. Let's, let's see if they really are back. Let's, let's see if their life is really changed. And aren't you glad somebody didn't do that to you? You see, forgiveness is one of those things that we have to extend. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that this older brother really was messed up. And to be honest with you, he was more messed up than the brother that left. And what we can find sometimes is that the ones that stay can be more messed up than the ones that leave. If we're not willing to check our own hearts. So let's take a look today. And we're going to look at two characters in the story of God's forgiveness. So let's begin with the wayward son. We begin in verse 25. It simply says this. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Let's take a deep look at this wayward son. The first thing that we're going to see is that he was distant. 
He was distant. Look at verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. Now, this is interesting. A lot of people would read in this story and they would say, okay, well, he was out working. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. But here's the truth of the matter. He's, he's in the field. He's away from everybody. He has no contact with the family. He has no contact with what's going on at home. He's distant. He's out there. Now, I'm here to tell you there's a lot of people that live in this manner. They are distant. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have ever stayed at work longer than you needed to because you didn't want to go home? How many of you have stayed in the sanctuary longer than you wanted to because you didn't want to have to go pick up your kids at nursery? I mean, you think about it. Sometimes we can be a little distant. We just think, well, if I take a little bit more time, <laughs> that gives me another minute of break. Another, yeah. You think about it. Sometimes we can be a little distant. And guess what? There are people in church that can be in church and still be distant from God. It is easy for us to just play the game of called church. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, we just come to church because that's just what we're supposed to do. I came to church this morning because my wife made me come to church, you know. I came to church this morning because my kids are here at church and, and they can't see me not come to church because they'll ask why I'm not in church with them, you know. Some people will come to church and still be so distant from God. Some people will come into church, they'll have their little earbud in their ear so they can listen to the game while church is going on. You say, well, that would never happen. Well, look at how many get on their phones during church. You see, that's the thing. There's a lot of people that can play the game of church. They really have no desire to be here. And let's just be honest. It's not that they're distant from the church. They're distant from the Lord of the church. And that's a problem. It's a grave problem that when we become distant from God, we'll continue to distance ourselves. But yet we think because we're in his house, we're close. This prodigal son was in the family, but he was distant. He was in the field. But look at this. He goes even further. You can tell that he was distant. It says, and as he came, he drew nigh to the house, and he heard music and dancing. Do you know the older son's responsibility would have been the one to throw the party for his brother? It would have been his responsibility. But guess what? They did it without him because guess what? They probably knew he wasn't going to be acceptable to the terms and conditions. You mean my brother's back? The one that spent everything? Now he's coming back for more? He's not getting my portion. Because you got to realize everything that was left with the father was whose portion? The older brothers. Everything that was left was supposed to be his. So he finds out the fatted calf has been killed. That was his fatted calf. Now, I don't care about my brother coming home. I don't, now, you think about that. He was so distant that when they were throwing the party, he had no idea that a party was even going on. But look at verse 26. And he called one of the servants and he asked, what do these things mean? What's happening? Why is there a party? We haven't seen a party go on in this house in forever. Why is there a party going on? And he says, well, look. He says, thy brother has come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. You see, this son was so distant, he didn't even know. There was a party going on. All the neighbors, all the villagers had been invited, but the son was out in the field and knew nothing was going on. You see, there's a lot of people that sit in here. It's so interesting. And they'll talk about this. They'll say, man... I really felt the Spirit move this morning. And yet then there'll be some people go out and go, what do you mean you felt the Spirit? You know, my wife was in that situation when she was growing up in church, and she made that statement. She come out of a service one day, and her dad was talking about how he felt God move. And she made the statement. She said, well, what do you mean you felt God move? I didn't feel anything. And her dad started praying for her right then. Started praying that God would work in her life. That next Sunday when the invitation was given, my wife was scooting down to the altar to get her life right with the Lord. Her daddy worked the sound booth. You ever seen a Baptist jump pews? 
He jumped two pews to get to his daughter to tell her how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it was all because she said, I didn't feel anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And that's the problem. A lot of people can be in church and be so distant from God, they never see God move. They never see God work. They don't understand what people are talking about when they talk about the importance of prayer and the importance of studying God's Word and the importance of worshiping God and getting close to God. They don't understand those things, and they sit back and they go, but I go to church. Can I tell you, that was my greatest problem. I had a relationship with the church, but I did not have a relationship with Christ. And I had to change. And when I did, oh, what a day it was. You see, people in church can still be distant, just like this brother. Not only was he distant, but verse 28 tells us he was angry. It says, and he was angry and would not go in anger. Man, how many of you have ever been angry? Anybody ever been angry? No lying in church now. <laughs> Proverbs 12, 16. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. Man, anger is such an easy emotion to display. But you know what's interesting? When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this. It says, love is not easily provoked. Love doesn't get angry. Now think about that for a moment because that's how, how many of you have ever gotten angry? And you said, but I love them. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I love them. I love them so much I passionately get angry with them, right? But no, I mean, you get angry, you, you get upset, you get bothered, and it's how, and how you handle the situation. Ephesians chapter 4, we understand that, guess what, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Because he says, be angry and do not sin. So in other words, if you can get angry and not sin, there has to be a way. Well, how is that way? Well, Jesus showed us that way when he went into the temple and he was flipping over tables and chasing people out with a cord. What was it? He was angry about sin in the house of God. And here's the thing. If you're angry about sin in someone's life, that's different. But again, you still got to handle it in a godly Christian manner. But this son, he was angry. He's angry. You want to know why he's angry? He's angry because the brother's back. He's angry because the brother has been accepted by the father. I wonder if you've ever gotten angry because somebody got saved. You say, oh, well, brother, I would never get angry over that. Well, I'll just tell you, there have been a few mass murderers that got saved in prison, and I heard people make this statement. God can never change them. Uh, he did save Saul. And made him Paul, who probably killed thousands of Christians. So don't tell me that God can't save a mass murderer. Don't tell me that God can't change one because he can. But sometimes we get angry. And this guy felt anger. He felt justified in his anger. How dare my brother come home? I mean, look at what he did. Do they not realize the amount of sins that he accomplished? Does he not realize all the shame he's brought on our family? Does my father not realize all the villagers are talking about us? And now he accepts him home? And it's everything's okay? And we're throwing a party? And we're inviting all the villagers who talk poorly about our family? What's going on? Why would he do this? And I promise you, as the Pharisees are listening to the story, they're going, it's about time somebody gave it to that brother. And maybe you're one of those right now, saying it's about time somebody gave it to that man. He did wrong. But I want you to understand, he was not only distant, he was not only angry, he was also legalistic and self-righteous. Look at verse 29. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. I wonder how many of us today would admit to being a little legalistic. 
You say, oh, no, man, there's no Pharisees today. I'm here to tell you, I believe there's more Pharisees in the church today than there has ever been. Listen to this passage in Matthew 23, 28. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Can I tell you, man, it is, it is easy to dress the part of a Christian. It is easy to live for God one day a week. It's a whole other thing when it's every day of the week. You see, legalism is real simple. I mean, we can put on a suit and we can look just the part. I mean, doesn't a suit make a man? Right? No. You know, one time I went to the hospital to visit somebody. It was so funny. I get on the elevator and I'm going up and I, I was called on my day off. I had on a pair of shorts and a polo shirt. I get in the elevator and this dude goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? Do I have on the right clothes today? Because isn't that our assessment sometimes? That we got to have on the right clothes. I'm here to tell you, clothes don't make a man and clothes don't make a woman. What makes a person in the eyes of God is their heart. That their heart is right with the Lord. He says, man, you can have it all cleaned up on the outside. But listen to some of these other things. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and honest and cumin, and you've omitted a weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye also to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Man, could you imagine that? I mean, the Pharisees would literally sit down after they had all their, they raised all of their vegetation. And so they would take spices out and they would chop them up and they would make sure they divided exactly one tenth. You ever seen that person that writes out their check to the Lord and they want to make sure they get it down to the penny because they don't want to give more than that? Man, we, right down the middle, we're going to make sure we give exactly what God asked us to give. Nothing above, nothing below, right on the dot. These guys, they were so concerned about it that even their spices were divided out properly. But they weren't concerned about justice and love and mercy and grace. And God says, you need to be thinking about those things. Listen to this. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they're full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. You see, that was the problem. This brother, he's looking at it, he's going, I have served thee. Can I tell you something? When I was growing up, my dad made us work very hard. All right? My dad was a contractor. So my dad built a lot of spec houses. And what we'd have to do practically every weekend when my dad built a house was we'd have to go there, and if they had done some brick work, we had to pick up all the bricks that they broke, throw them into the front porch and the metal bands. If my dad had done some inside work in the house, we had to go in there and sweep up all the sawdust, pick up all the cut wood, and make sure that we piled all the wood up nice and clean so that they could have a clean workspace the next week. We had to do this every week. If we didn't do that at the house, my dad had us wash the cars, or he'd have us mow the yard, or my favorite thing my father used to have us do was this. He would have us go in the yard and rake acorns. That's what he called them, acorns. Right? Y'all call them acorns or acorns. All right? You go rake them acorns out of the yard. We don't need no more trees, you know. Or even better yet, we had to mow the woods one time. I mean, my dad could come up with some jobs. And I just remember as a kid, I used to look at my dad and like, Dad, you didn't have kids. You had slaves. And you know what my dad told me? He said, slaves are cheaper, son. He was right. 
But here's the thing. I used to sit back as a kid, and I used to say to my dad, why are we doing all this work? Why are you making us work so hard? Why in the world do we have to keep doing all of these things? Why do you drive us like slaves? The older I got, the more I realized. The more I realized. My dad wasn't making us do that. He wasn't making us work. He was making us men. And I can look back now, and I don't look at it like the older brother. This guy needed to mature. I've served thee. In other words, you've made me like one of your slaves. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. When I got out of college, I went back. I was 22 years old. I went back to live with my parents for about a year before I ended up getting married. And I went back, and I lived with them. And I remember my dad made this statement. 22 years old, my dad said, my house, my rules. I didn't question it. Dad asked me to go out and mow the yard. I went out and mowed the yard. I was living free of charge. Young ones, after you're 18, your parents owe you nothing. Nothing. All right? Some of them are looking at them like, I got 12 more years of this. Free ride. Free ride. But here's the point. This father loved his sons. It wasn't about them serving him. They ought to do it because they loved him, because they cared for him. The older I got, when I was 22, I realized, you know what, Dad? You don't even have to ask me to go out there and mow the yard. I'm going to go mow the yard. You don't have to ask me to go out there and rake the acorns. I'll go out there and rake them. You don't have to ask me to wash the car. Why? Because I realized I should do that because I loved him. I should do that because he raised me. I should do that because he gave me above and beyond what I needed. This son... As opposed to looking at it, a precious gift, he was more looking at himself. I've done all this for you, and what are you doing for me? I wonder how many of us look at God like that. God, I do all this for you. What are you doing for me? You know, two ladies in the book of Luke, Mary and Martha. I think we talked a little bit about them. We know where Mary was, but what was Martha doing? She was working. She was working in the house. She was making sure that Jesus had whatever he wanted to drink and making sure that he had food and making sure that he had everything, making sure the house was clean, making sure the guests were happy, making sure everything was just right. And the problem is that sometimes we can be so busy in God's house that we fail to sit at God's feet. We can be very legalistic. We can also be self-righteous. Look at what else he said. He said, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. How many of you would love to tell your parents you've always done what they asked you to do? That's basically what he's telling his daddy. I have never disobeyed you. How many of you have ever said that to God? God, I, do you not realize what all I've done for you? Do you not realize what a good man or good woman I am? Don't you realize what all, why would you allow me to go through all these troubles? It always blows me away when people ask that question, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever ask that question? You've probably known somebody that's gone through a very hard time. You say, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm going to give you a real simplistic answer. You ready for this? There are no good people. But I go to church and I do this. You are a sinner. It's that simple. There are no good people. So don't ask why do bad things happen to good people. You're asking a, a minute question that means absolutely nothing. There are no good people. As long as you are in this world, there is sin and there's corruption and there's death and there's disaster and there's problems. And until we get to that world, until we get to our eternal abode, we're going to go through hard times. If anybody promised you anything different as a Christian, they lied to you. They lied. 
We're going to have difficult times. But here this guy looks at it like, man, I've done everything right. If you ever come to God thinking you've done everything right, you're in grave trouble. But not only was he legalistic and self-righteous, he was also jealous. He says, and yet thou hast never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Now, I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? Because what it means to say is you've never given me a kid of goats. All right? I don't know how the dad could give him a kid. But he said, you've never given me a goat in order to make merry with my friends. In other words, I just want the smallest animal we've got. I just want something simple. Why have I never got to have a party? He was jealous. Can I tell you what jealousy will do to you? It will eat you up and spit you out. Man, there's nothing good in jealousy. Look at Cain. Cain became jealous of Abel because of the sacrifice he made. And what happened? He killed his brother because of jealousy. What about Korah? In number 16, he became jealous of Moses that he was the leader and he stood up against him and God opened up the earth and swallowed him and Abarim and all those others that wanted Moses' position. Jealousy never helps anything. The Bible teaches us to be content in all things. Whatever God has given to us, be content with those things that God has given to you. In fact, the Bible tells us when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about this. It says, love doesn't make jealous, nor is it jealous. So if you love, you'll never be jealous. You'll never want to make others jealous. You'll never want them to desire what you have. But this brother was jealous. Now, we got to get to this last one. This is the one I really want to hone in on. He was unforgiving. Look at verse 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thou thy living with harlots, and thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. He can't even say, as soon as my brother came home, your son. He ain't a part of me. This guy was unforgiving. I told you, I believe that this is one of the gravest sins in the church today. And I'm going to read several verses for you because I want you to understand this. Because I believe if we can get beyond this, if we can see and, and get to a point where we forgive, you ready for this? Everybody. Everybody, then I believe God will truly move in this church. You ready? Mark eleven twenty five. 25, listen to this. And when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You got to grasp it. You go to the Lord in prayer. You desire forgiveness for yourself, but you won't forgive somebody else. What does it say? You won't be forgiven. Do you realize that an unforgiving heart can cause you to have a mistake in your relationship with God? It can hinder your relationship with God. It can keep you from being forgiven for your sins. And therefore, your relationship with God never gets right until you get it right with your brother or sister. Oh, that's, that's more like, oh, me, right, as opposed to amen. I mean, he makes it plain and clear. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, when we talk about this, this, this prayer that we should follow, that Jesus models for us in Matthew chapter 6, he says it this way. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Verses 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'm here to tell you, I believe that there are a lot of people today that are still in their sin because they won't forgive others. Are you listening? You say, well, I'm, I'm, I forgive them. I've let it go. Well, you need to understand that forgiveness is more than words. It's more than words. I mean, you can say you forgive all day long, but God knows your heart. You ready? Ephesians 4.32, listen closely. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Boy, we just made it real tough, didn't we? Now you think about this. How do you want God to forgive you? You're forgiven as you forgive. Now, you've got to understand. You say, well, what do you mean? He says that you're supposed to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. How is that? Does that mean that the next time you mess up, he brings up the time you messed up before? Hello? No, that's forgotten, right? That's been forgiven. That's been let go. Now, a lot of people say this. I've I've heard this statement from Christians, and it breaks my heart. They say, well, brother, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Could you imagine if that's what God says when you stand before his throne? He says, well, I forgive you, but I can't forget, so you're going to hell. Man, does that not scare you? I mean, that would scare me. So think about the fact that I've got to forgive like Christ. That means i got to... You ready for it? It just came out, right? I got to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. It only hinders you. You say, well, what, brother? I, I have forgiven. If your relationship is not the same it was before the sin, you haven't forgiven them. That means, you ready for this? You can still go to the class that they're in because you still love them and you forgive them and you've forgotten it. You can still run into them because you love them, you forgive them, and you've forgotten it. You can still talk to them. You can still trust them. You can still believe in them. You can still pray for them. You can still hope for them. You can still want the best for them because you have forgiven them. But if you can't talk to them, if you're too busy talking about them, you've not forgiven them. I can talk about it all day long, but let's just be honest. If we don't start doing it, we can say it, but if we don't start doing it. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12, Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Bible talks about in Matthew 5, if you go to the altar, notice that you've got a brother that has offended by you. You go to them. Let's just be honest. We live in the most offended society today. But the idea, the purpose behind this is that what? If we find out that somebody's got something wrong, we go to them. Here's the problem. We are so busy not going to the proper people. We go to everybody else and we say, will you pray for me because I got to talk to so-and-so. And then we'll tell them about the problem. And we never go talk to so-and-so because we want to use prayer as a guise of gossip. That's not good. 
If you can't talk to that person, don't talk about them. But better yet, forgive and move on. Forgiveness is so vital to the life of a Christian. I think about this story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to tell you guys, this, this is the story that gets me every single time that makes me realize I better let it go. Beginning in Matthew 18 verse 23. I'm going to read the whole story because you need to get this. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for so much as he had not to pay his Lord, commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Do you realize what we have done to God by our sins, we put him on the cross. And because of all of our sins, we put him on the cross. Do you not think we owe a tremendous debt that we could never repay? Just like that servant. And yet, what did he do when you gave your life to him? He wiped it clean, didn't he? Your debt's paid. You're forgiven. How dare we go out there and find somebody that has hurt us and say, I can't forgive them when God has forgiven you all of your debt. How dare we hold on and hold a grudge? And a lot of people say, well, brother, I'm not holding a grudge. If you have not restored the relationship to the way it was before things went wrong, you're holding a grudge. Simple as that. Now, here's the truth. Some of you are probably sitting back and you're thinking, man... That means I got family members I got to talk to I haven't talked to in years. Been there, done that. Oh, I got to talk to that friend that was talking about me. Been there, done that. Oh, I've got to go. That's fine. If you can sit there and make a list, that's good. Go get it right. Don't wait any longer. He's not the only person we're going to look at in this story. Let's look at the forgiving father. Because this is who we need to be like. Verse 31. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. First off, the father was gentle. Son. 
You know what's really cool is, is he actually doesn't use the word kuos, but he uses the word technon in the Greek language, which really the father is saying, my little child. How gentle he is to his son. This son that has rebuked him, this son that's been ugly to him, he looks at him and he says, my little child. In other words, he wants to bring it home. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I want you to know I still love you. Even though you've spoken ill towards me, I still love you. My little son. And he says this. He was not only gentle, he was loving. He says, thou art ever with me. Isn't that amazing? That no matter if you are a child of God, if you're a child of God, he promises he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you. Always with you. He was very loving to his son. Not only was he gentle, not only was he loving, but he was gracious. At the end of verse 31, he says, and all that I have is thine. You know what the father could have said? The father could have said, you know what? I can give my inheritance to whoever I want to give it to. You're an ungrateful son, and I don't, I don't want to give it to you anymore. But he was gracious. You, want to understand, you need to understand something. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve heaven. But these are by the gracious gift of God. When you think about it, it's not by works lest any man should boast. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. We're saved because God chose to save us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. To show us his grace and his love. And not only is he gentle and not only is he loving and not only is he gracious, but he is forgiving Look at verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You see, there's forgiveness for you today. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But I'm here to tell you, you won't be forgiven until you're willing to forgive everyone. You say, well, that's really a tall order well i've never known christianity to be easy it never has been and it never will be i don't care who's hurt you what they've said to you you got to forgive them you got to let it go you've got to move on and you've got to restore that relationship some of you may have a lot of phone calls to make this afternoon that's a good thing i promise you you will not you will never regret letting go of unforgiveness ever but you will regret holding on to it. The Bible tells us that God casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, according to Psalm 103. Micah 7, 19 says he throws our sins into the sea. And if God can do that for us, and you think about, here's all you need to think about is this. Look at the amount of sins that you've committed over your lifetime. Think about everything you've ever done. And here's the truth of the matter. You've probably forgotten most of it yourself. But if God could, he could have this list. He could roll it out and be longer than any kid's Christmas list of all your sins you've ever committed. And you know what he said to you on the day you surrendered to him? I'm going to wipe it clean. Every one of them. You ready for this? And the guilt of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. The guilt of your sin, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Two questions this morning that I need to ask you that you need to think about. Number one, have you been forgiven? Do you have a relationship with the Father where He has forgiven you? 
Can you honestly look back at a time where you confessed your sin, you found that God cleansed you of your sin, and your life was changed, and you're no longer the same? Have you been forgiven? Because if not, then today you need to find that forgiveness that comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he loves you so much, he died for your sins so that you might not have to bear the guilt of your sin. Are you forgiven? But number two, are you forgiving? Is there somebody you need to make things right? I'm going to tell you one of the coolest things, and I'll do this during the Lord's Supper, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. We need to make sure that our hearts are right with God before we ever partake so that we don't partake of it in a vain manner. Because people have died partaking the Lord's Supper in vain manner. Read 1 Corinthians. It's in there. And what I always do is I always give a time, an opportunity to make things right. I want you to make certain that your hearts are right before you partake of it so that you don't partake of it in an unworthy manner. That means getting rid of sin, and that means making things right. One of the coolest things is when you see in the middle of a church one person from one side of the church go to the other side of the church to make things right so that they can partake of the Lord's Supper. Right in front of everybody. You want to know why? Because there's probably a whole lot of that that needs to happen. A whole lot. Are you forgiving? For with the forgiveness that you show is the forgiveness you shall receive. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people love to skip the second part of that parable because they don't want to talk about the older brother. They don't want to talk about him because they want to think that he was justified. But let me just be honest with you. Only one in the story was justified. The wayward son who ran away and came home because he realized who he was and what he had done. The older son, we never see his life change. We don't know the end of the story. We hope he turned it around. But we don't know. So what's your story? Are you going to turn it around? Or will you continue to act like this older brother? See, I think that's why the story's left open like that. That we don't get a true ending to the story. Because the story's still carrying on today in you. Will you make things right? Will you make certain that there is no ought between you or anybody else? Boy, if we do that, whew, we'll change this world.